seven years, Los Angeles County has burned at the hands of one man. Could we be talking serial arson? And for seven years, he's been pursued by John Orr. Now, typically these guys are loners. They have trouble with relationships. They have trouble with their jobs. Head of L.A. County's Chief Fire Investigation Unit and expert in point of origin. One forest service worker had a burning love for her estranged husband. I'm Torn Atkinson. Horticulture makes some people go environmental. I'm Kevin Leeson. Do you feel stupid? Are you ugly? You may be an arsonist. Please don't light fires. I'm Alan Newell. Lighting pillows on fire doesn't make you hot stuff in bed. I'm Joe Fulgham, and this is Caustic Soda. There's a Latin word, uh-huh. arsionem, okay, which means a burning. Oh, from the root ass. So this is this is obviously somebody came up with this who liked to light their farts on fire. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, to burn or glow, same as ash. All right, mm, okay, like sort of as, emberish. Ash. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and arsonphobia is the fear of fire, but also pyrophobia, pyrophobia and arsonphobia. Oh, so I've heard of pyrophobia, but not arsonphobia. Well, Alan's here. Pirates. Alan, how you doing? Good. Welcome back. It's good to be back. It's been a while. It's been, it's been, uh, you were, uh, on our Burns episode? Yes. And our Wildfires episode. Yep. And our Urban Fires episode. Yep. They're somewhat related, obviously. They're part of our, our, our fires. Could just say for of, a whole Saturday afternoon. Uh, Alan Newell. On fire. Esquire. Esquire. <laughs> nice. Do you want to talk about the, uh, the science? Some science, some arson some science? science. But we should arson. say that arson is the criminal act of deliberately setting fire to property. Oh, okay. Yes. What about and, not right. property? What about setting fire to... Uh, setting fire to... An know? idea? <laughs> yeah. That's, is precisely. That. Or... Figurative arson? Or like a, you know, a tumbleweed? That's mine. It's my property. Right? Oh, oh well. Yeah. I own all That would belong to the state, theoretically. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm. Mm. So everything hmm. on Everything's Earth... owned. Everything, everything on Earth is Just owned. Just ask the Native Americans. Mm-hmm. All right, okay. That's, that's right. I'm actually going to back up and do Kevin's job for a second. Okay. I'll tell you why I'm here talking a bit. I'm not an arson investigator. No. But we in the fire service, we all do receive training in identifying and preserving evidence of arson okay right uh it's a little difficult when you're you know you're on an attack line in a fire putting out 125 gallons a minute right and mm-hmm. you're trying not to blow away the device that started the fire right. kind of wow, thing. right so i can only get keep... a few drops out at a time it's... that is a lot <laughs> yeah that's why you're a firefighter and i just pee it's, like normal people special. well yeah. you drink mm-hmm. a, an entire vat of beer right yeah. Yeah. yeah right uh so that's why i'm here there's three words that even in the courts that get mixed up oh, okay arson. all right and the term fire setting mm-hmm. or arson or pyromania, right? Okay. Are three, and they're very distinct and very different. What's oh. between fire setting and arson? Well, fire setting is a behavior, right? Arson is a crime, okay? okay. And pyromania is a mental disorder, which okay. not all, not, well, not all mental health experts even agree that it is a thing. Oh, so I'm so sure Doctor Rob would have a take. These three things are kind of the together they create the arson scenario. Uh, what kind you of? You need pyromania to become a fire setter and to get convicted of arson. Do you, though? No. 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 Sorry. But a, a person could. 
be a pie maniac who set a fire and they got convicted of arson. Absolutely. Ah. Yes. So everyone in this room has most likely at some point in their life set a fire. Of so we're all fire setters. We're all fire oh. setters. So fire setting mm-hmm. is a behavior. There's two kinds, accidental uh-huh. and intentional. Right. So Both. accidental fire setting is your camping. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. set... Uh, you you diligently build a fire ring. You set your fire. You pour water on it when it's over. You make you stir the ashes, the whole thing, and something goes wrong, and you burn down fifty thousand hectares of a national park. That's uh, a bad day. It's an accident. You're you're clearly not an arsonist. It wasn't a crime. Right. Mm-hmm. But you know, a lot of uh, small fire or a lot of fires are started by children playing with matches. It's they're not. You know, it's not a malicious fire. Yeah, they're simply curious about the matches, and it turns it gets out of control. Right. But mm-hmm. probably because they're a pyromaniac at heart. Well, right? that's always possible. Mm-hmm. Well, after they get all the attention from that first one, yeah, they'll <laughs> try it again. We'll get back to that, actually. So uh, now pathological fire setting may be a symptom in a range of psychiatric disorders, which will eventually get us to the, the pyromania. Okay. So arson mm-hmm. is a crime. It's a criminal act in which uh, one willfully, as you said, maliciously sets fire to or aids in setting fire to a structure, dwelling, or property of another, or in certain cases, even to themselves for insurance crime. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. Pyromania is a mental disorder. Uh, individuals with pyromania engage in intentional and pathological fire setting, but they o- they don't always commit the crime of arson. Right. There are people who suffer from fire an impulse control issue where they have to light fires, but they very carefully you know burn paper in the kitchen sink kind of thing. Right. Just right. to watch the flames. Got um, it. So they're not committing arson. So even in courts, there have been those words used interchangeably. Right. Uh, and defense attorneys and prosecutors sometimes do it for their own purposes. Right. They need to have you or someone like you. In the court at all times, and whenever that happens, there's a little bell. Ding! <laughs> Pretty sure the courts no, pay people no. to obfuscate. No, oh. even better, even better. Every time somebody does that, they you know light a bic. Oh, right. Or you know, they sh- get a bucket of water dropped in their head. Oh yeah. Oh oh. How very uh, you know. You can't do that on television. Can't do that on television. Is that yeah. green slime? It's an excellent Nickelodeon do? moment. What kind of people set fires? All, All kinds. kinds of people. Mm. Yeah. Well, probably unhappy, I would think. Generally. Well, the kind of people who set fires for arson purposes, for criminal Not purposes. Not babies. Everyone except for babies. Pretty they, rare for babies Ages to do it. 8 and up. Ages Ooh. 8 to 80. And generally not dead people. Although there might Live be a few people, fires started right? by dead Ooh. people. Mm. But generally. That's, I think that's yeah, the best answer. Yeah, I don't answer. know how that one works. <laughs> that's the best answer you're going to get out of this. Yeah. Okay. So, um, <laughs> We're not the experts here. Most arsonists are male. Okay. Right? Uh, but the numbers of females are increasing, and they're not exactly sure why. Uh, oh. Something's lib. going on. It's women's lib. Oh, first we That's give them the right to vote, vote and then we now... give them the right to start fires. No, they take the right to start fires. Females actually uh, tend to commit arson differently than males do. Okay. Uh, females tend to set fire to their own property or oh. that of partners, relatives, or neighbors. It's often a revenge oh. kind of issue. Okay. okay. Oh, this is, you know, f- uh, screw that guy. I'm going to burn all his clothes. There is also a certain measure of it is attention-seeking mm-hmm. that occurs for some mm-hmm. people. Yep. Arson offenders are often unmarried. Poorly educated, uh-huh. live alone, and are unemployed. Okay. okay. When we discuss some uh, some of the arson cases, fire is their only friend. Fires. Well, they they find a sense of power in it. And they, right. they certainly mm. do. Um, yeah, that, and you can't live with somebody because all those like powerful solvents you have around your house that, in order to like start fires would like make other people dizzy and and. and well, it's hard sick. to go out at night to commit deeds when you have a partner going. Where are you going? Right. What yeah. you doing? Where are you going with that? What's going on? That can of are, gasoline. Are you cheating on me with fire? <laughs> Why do you smell like kerosene? That's, that's right. 
Now, these these next couple of points are, are kind of interesting. I did get them actually from a psychiatric, uh, an article okay. called Firesetting Arson, Pyromania, and the Forensic Mental Health Experts. It's actually oh. quite fascinating reading. Mm. But um, they also list that arson offenders are often socially isolated, uh-huh. introverted, uh-huh. physically unattractive. Oh, oh wow. That, and, that is, was that necessary to put that in there? And less assertive than other mental disorder patients. And that's less like, assertive than other mental disorder patients. I mean, we all kind of believe in the beauties in the eye of the beholder uh, philosophy, right. don't Are we? Are they ugly because of all the burn marks? Oh, yeah, the maybe. Covers, uh, yeah. maybe. Well, their hair is all scorched. Yeah. I think in this sense, ugly means generally that's what society thinks about them, even right. though somebody might find them very attractive. Or they right? themselves think it about themselves. Or they, or they think yeah. it about right. themselves. So, well, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it's more like they're just constantly smoldering, right? Um, Not in a good way. So their yeah. eyes. Yeah. There is a high level of mental illness in arsonists. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and interestingly, in one study, arsonists were found to be four times more likely to have a mental disorder than were homicide offenders. Mm. So you're more likely to be crazy oh. if you're an arsonist than if you're a murderer. Right. Right. Yeah, because there's actual reasons to murder. Now, that's getting to the people that have you know mental disorders causing them to light the fires. There's a lot of people who, who light fires that don't have mental disorders. And in those cases, it's often juveniles. Mm-hmm. So oh. another large group is just juvenile males. Okay. All right. And um, why do they do it? Um, I remember starting a fire just for fun once. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I got uh, what, got you a little out of control. Yeah? It was in, it was in my barn. Okay. Oh, I've done a farm. <laughs> that is not a good place for a fire. No, no. no in a big wooden uh, barn. In a big wooden barn. I did manage to put it out. It was a little touch, touch and go, go there for a while. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and that was just like, ooh, fire. I can I can do that. Yep. Yeah, maybe it's a power thing. So I got a pop quiz. All pop right, quiz. Okay. Boo-da-ba-ba-ba-ba. Shake it off, Kevin. Shake it off. You can do it this time. Come on, shake it off. Do it. Aside from just general curiosity, children playing with matches, okay, that sort right. of thing, mm-hmm. there are seven motives that are generally recognized. Seven mm. motives of arsonists. Seven motives Ooh. driving arsonists to okay. light fires. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, okay. Money. Oh. Well, that would be for the insurance. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, attention, which I think yep. I noted uh, earlier. Concealing another crime is. So mm. oh. that would include insurance fraud. Mm-hmm. So okay. you're, you're burning down a place. But that also includes you've just shot someone and murdered them and you burn the house down. Right. So concealing a, another crime. Concealing another okay. crime. Sex appeal. Mm. Kevin, is there anything you want to tell us about you and fire? You can only get fire? it up while there's a while the, the, while a warehouse is on fire. No, it's oh, like pyrophilia. You know, uh, oh right, that's my next. I haven't even gotten to that one yet. Like you you light the fire, and then arsonists are always coming back and standing outside watching it burn. Okay, and that's you like quite you, frequent. You know, you, yeah, you sort of like elbow the lady next to you, like cool fire, huh? Right. Yeah. Is that on the list? Mm, well. Mm. It should it be on the list? Not really. You got to remember, most arsonists really don't have many relationships. Yeah, that's uh, not, they, you're trying to start one. And if they do, they're not they're not usually that Listen, healthy. All the florid language and all the poetry and romance stories, or whatever, it's always about burning passion and lighting a fire. Right, yes, and all the rest of that stuff. They just take it like to the next level. So just burning a church down. Yeah, really, uh, yeah, okay. precisely as a. Uh, Expression of love. I'm gonna say revenge. Yeah, is revenge was, on the list? Yeah. Yes, revenge oh, is indeed on the list. Hey. Revenge is on the list. A lot of fires are done for revenge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, sexual gratification, pyrophilia. No, but we will mm. get to that. Oh, because it is a thing, uh-huh. but it's not considered one of these seven. It's. it's I, I guess you don't have to set an illegal arson fire to get off by watching fire. Right. You, no, you could have a fireplace. It's, it's a very common trope, though, that arsonists mm. are all standing in a crowd masturbating, watching their fire. Right. Um, and that's because, you know, all it takes is one person to actually do that, and that becomes the biggest yeah. story ever. Yeah. So we, we will actually be discussing a very sick 
man today okay. who, who had sexual satisfaction from his fires. Okay. Um, but it's, right. it's not a big enough thing. In fact, pyromania is a very rare mental disorder. Right. And setting fires for sexual arousal which is part of pyromania, is even smaller within that category. Okay. Right. Uh, I had numerous studies where they studied hundreds of arsonists, and none of them had that. None right. of them. Right. Hmm. So it's hmm. a very low number. All right. Okay. So, so it doesn't movies. make the big seven, but it's in there somewhere. It exists, yeah. So we got concealing another crime. We got revenge. Mm-hmm. We need five more. Now, concealing another crime, I kind of cheated here. Fraud is a separate category. Okay. But concealing another crime and fraud, are the, okay. they fall in the same. So we've got... Three already, okay. uh, to be fair. Warmth. I'm just going to set this house on fire. Oh, it's so cold. cold. Right. Nah, see, then it's not a crime. You're just keeping warm. Well, if I set somebody's house on fire because I'm cold, it's a crime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, guess. I know. I'm not a pyromaniac. I'm not an arsonist, so I'm trying to... Why would I light a house? I don't know. Cold. I'm cold. That's why I would light something I have on fire. gone to many house fires that were started by squatters trying to keep warm. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But those aren't arsons, right? So Yeah, they're accidental fires. Uh, well, if Alfred taught me anything, some people just want to watch the world burn. Oh, yeah. Marco Kane. <laughs> there is one we have kind of brushed along mental disorders there okay. are yeah. just generally a mental yeah. disorder it doesn't have to be pyromania it can be a simple mental disorder that, sure. that causes destructive behaviors yeah. we're not talking about just childlike curiosity that's not a not childlike curiosity but deliberate. there is one that kids do that's in this group attention vandalism vandalism right. just vandalism just, they just want to wreck something Straight just up. you know it's uh, it's mm. frequently the last day of summer vacation so mm. we find the bundle of paper pushed up against the door to the school mm. it's never going to burn the school down but it always makes a nice fire dumpster fires in british columbia here the greatest number of arson fires are vandalism right mm. and okay. they're perpetrated th- against as british Columbians, were thrill seekers and and we have it in for schools, parks, playgrounds, abandoned buildings, and cars because okay. those are the largest targets of vandalism. Mm-hmm. We're, we're also so confident that it's so wet here that nothing will last on fire for very that long. Is, that is, uh, you know, you got the uh, firefighter in the sky helping you out along the way. Saint Florian, actually, mm-hmm. patron saint of firefighters. Yeah. Oh, all right. So the last two, if you want them, yes, yes, the hero. The person who sets the fire so they can put it out or rescue people. And uh, although I myself kind of lump that into a mental disorder, it's it's actually categorized separately. I agree. It's kind of, yeah. Uh, And then the final one is protests or terrorism. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. Okay. You know, the second to last one, the hero one, is kind of like the, uh, you know, um, Munchausen by proxy for for fire starting. Right. Yeah. Baron Munchausen by proxy. (laughs) (laughs) How per, how big a percentage of the population of the world is an arsonist? In 2012, over 62,000 arsons were committed in the United States. 62,000. Nearly a billion dollars damage in losses. Arsonical mm-hmm. incidents. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And over 80% of arsonists go on uh, each arson crime, the, the perpetrator goes unpunished. 80%. Okay. Oof. But how many arsonists? Because they don't get caught or they don't get convicted or... Well, in British Columbia uh, in 1997, this is just some numbers I really quickly grabbed um, Mm -hmm. off one of the fire inspector's desks. There were just over 1,600 fires that year, uh, 1,600 arson fires that year. Uh, 105 adults were charged, 80 juveniles were charged, and about 160 juveniles were dealt with informally by police. Right. Mm -hmm. So what, what we've occasionally had is the young fire starters show up and they have to apologize to our fire chief. Mm-hmm. Right. And he puts on the full uniform oh, and puts on yeah. the stern look. That must be a fun day. Right. They're bawling. <laughs> the thing about it's most... <laughs> it's, it's quite effective. It's straight. Oh, yeah. straight. 
Yes. Yeah. Have we not all had those moments in our life where an, an authority figure that we have no control over has just been like standing over us going, mm, shaking their head? Mm-hmm. And we're yeah. like, yeah, oh God, I'm so sorry. Never. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure the rest of your life. I have never done those things that I've sworn I would never do again. Yeah. And you it, get teens that are doing it. They're egging each other on kind of sure. thing. They really yeah. don't want to burn whatever down, yeah. but they do it to show off to each other. And then, you and know, the girls and the ladies. It's scared straight. Just with a lot less talking about butt fucking. Nobody ever saw scared straight. No. Oh, yeah. Now, the one thing about arsonist is, except for professional torches or people that have um, mental disorders, most arsonists never commit it again. Um, arsonists that are caught, arrested, tried, convicted, do their time, get out, and they're more likely to commit any other crime really? but arson again. Oh, okay. Really? Um, most, huh. The vast majority of arsonists are actually amateurs. Right. Which, you know, they... As opposed to the professional arson society. Oh, I'm sure they're professional There are some there, professional... Yeah. If you saw the movie Backdraft, Donald... Uh, yeah. Donald Sutherland plays a character who's a professional arsonist. Mm. So yeah, it's it's a, it's a very odd behavior mm-hmm. um, with a lot of peculiar people involved in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, setting out at night is because most arsons are uh, are set at night. Most right. fires are set at under night under the cover of darkness. Yeah, buildings are the most common target, as opposed to hobos wrapped in in tires or cars. Well, mm-hmm. also because if you burn a lot of other things, you if you're inside a building, the building will then eventually. Mm-hmm. Also, be burning. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to make metal buildings. But then you've got the contents. Ah, uh, yeah. That's, mm-hmm. we often go to fires and it's just the contents around fire because mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a concrete condominium complex. And mm-hmm. Right. Right. Is that, but that's easier though because the walls are not burning or not? Well, you've got carpets. So yeah. the floor's on oh, fire. Yeah. Uh, someone, mm-hmm. you know, they put up wallpaper. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's amazing what will burn yeah. when you give it half a chance. So as a firefighter, you are anti wallpaper. Just, just as a person of taste, <laughs> yeah. I, would, yeah. I, I would totally agree with that. The uh, interior designer in you has a uh, problem with it. The one last thing I was going to say is talking about the diagnosis of pyromania. This gets a little creepy, and it might come up in a couple of the of the uh, in the news. We like creepy. Mm-hmm. There is a, an odd association between people with pyromania and volunteer firefighting. Yeah, right. Uh, several yeah, people I know that. who have worked as volunteer firefighters have come out of fires to see their own colleagues in handcuffs. Oh wow! And they go, "Did you set this one?" And yes, and this one, and this one, and this one, and wow! So it's, it's a connection they have, and that could also be the hero thing right. going on yeah. there. Mm-hmm. So. Right, right, right. So they become a volunteer firefighter. Here's the chicken and egg question: They become a volunteer firefighter to get access or learn how to do these sorts of things, or they are a volunteer firefighter and just like being around so many fires, they get like caught up in the you know. I would think they become in the heat of the moment. In the heat of the moment, uh-huh. they become firefighters because they want to be around fires. I, I think that's the correct thing. Yeah. If, if you look, a yeah. lot of them are not capable of performing a lot of functions in life. They, they mm. barely get by. So you will often see they've applied at some point in their life to be part of an authority. Right. They applied to be RCMP or police officers, and they were declined for whatever reason. Right. And mm-hmm. that's bothered them their entire life. Some of them may have tried to get on the fire department or join the military. Again, it didn't work out, but they were able mm-hmm. to get into the volunteer department. Right. Right. Which, you know, it gives them a certain sense of authority. It gives them access to firefighting and the hero thing that they crave right. so desperately. Interesting. I, I, You know what? You think about it, it makes perfect sense, but it never occurred to me before. I think there's like moment. a level of guilt. Like, well, I like starting fires. But if I become a firefighter, that'll can, balance it out. In the really, really <laughs> sick one, excuse me, in the really, really sick ones, I, there's not much guilt there. Public, Public service announcement! Don't start fires. <laughs> uh, but it. I'm so cold! Uh, Alan. Most people who set fires do not consider the resources they are tying up. Uh-huh. If firefighters respond to a malicious fire, even a small nuisance fire, mm. small nuisance fire, that a thing called a nuisance is on fire. 
they're unavailable for legitimate life-threatening emergencies. Right. Additionally, the largest number of firefighter injuries are encouraging emergency responses. If you set the fire and a firefighter is injured responding, you are criminally responsible. Wait, what does that mean? So this this public service announcement is actually aimed at the arsonist. Yes. Yes. Don't you don't become an arsonist. There. Stop what you're doing. No. Well, don't stop listening to the show. <laughs> stop listening to the show when it's over, and then stop being an arsonist. Yeah. Let's say, what does it mean? Uh, firefighter injuries are incurred during emergency responses. So you're driving the fire truck. We're driving the truck, motor vehicle accident involving right. the fire truck, mm-hmm. and it's always intersections. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, that's the largest. And also, additionally, then there's we arrive and you step out of the truck. You've got 85 pounds of equipment on. You step out of the truck. You roll an ankle. You fall over backwards. It oh. happens all the time. I've, I've broken my own ankle just stepping out of the truck before. Wow. So oh, all of that happens, and the arsonist is liable. So oh. what we've taken away from this public service announcement is Alan Newell has fragile ankles. <laughs> I do now. <laughs> well, he, he did, but now they've been broken and yeah. reformed stronger. <laughs> In the history... That's very good. Fourth century BC uh, uh, Greece. Oh, and uh, that's what they lit on fire. Seeking it was a Greece fire. Yeah, it was a Greece fire. Yeah, yeah, Greece that's fire. right. Yeah. Seeking notoriety, Herostratus burned mm. down the temple of Artemis at Ephesus mm. in ancient Greece. Okay. The temple honored a local goddess conflated by the Greeks with Artemis, their goddess of the hunt, mm. the wild and childbirth. Okay. The temple was constructed of marble. Ooh. Very flammable, excellent. flammable marble. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, measuring 130 meters long and supported by columns 18 meters high, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Wow. Herostratus proudly claimed credit for the arson in an attempt to immortalize his name. Oh, did he, like, spell out his name in, like, flammable material and yeah, light maybe. it on fire? To dis- I mean, he does have Hero right at the very yeah, beginning. That's right. That's name. the Hero and complex hero, right there. That's right. It's Hero Stratus, so it's like, I mean, a, a, a hero in the sky. To dissuade those from similar intentions, mm-hmm. the Ephesian authorities not only executed him, but attempted to condemn him to a legacy of obscurity okay. by forbidding mention of his name under penalty of death. All right. However, this did not stop Herostratus from achieving his goal because the ancient historian Theopompus mm-hmm. recorded the event and its perpetrator. Herostratus's name lived on in classical literature and is passed into modern languages as a term for someone who commits a criminal act in order to bask in the resultant notoriety, thus winning Herostratic fame. What was the name of the guy who published the account? Uh, Theopompus. Okay, so did, I mean, now we know why he Theopompus did it. Theopompus asked. He yeah, was because, so full of himself. Yeah, he was guy. so full of himself. He was like, I can publish anything I want. You can't tell me what I can and cannot do. Yeah, all right. Okay. It's all in the name. Mm-hmm. This is like, you know, ancient Greeks obviously named people like after they were 25 years old. <laughs> yeah, probably. So they figured out everyone else should be was done. just like, you know, uh, Mr. White, Mr. Black, Mr. You know, Purple, right? That's what everybody was until their 25th birthday. 2002, Chicago. Mm-hmm. Mark Thompson, a Chicago investment executive, intentionally set fire to his two-story home to collect $730,000 in insurance money. Right. Thompson, who was apparently short on money to support his high-profile lifestyle, used his 90-year-old mother to make it appear like she set the fire to kill herself. Thompson put his mother in the basement, spread lacquer thinner on the walls, and set the fire where she later died. He received $600,000 in insurance money, and his mother's death was ruled a suicide until investigators took a closer look at Thompson's finances and extreme debt. After a number of suspicious money transactions and identity covers, Thompson declared bankruptcy. He was sentenced to 190 years in federal prison. Wow. Put his mom in the basement. And lit the room that she was in on fire. What do you think his mom had to say about that at the time? 
Well, she was 90. <laughs> <laughs> she was 90, so she probably was like, what What? What are we doing in the basement? Yeah, it's like, maybe. Oh, I uh, got something I want to show you. Are you cold? Are you let me set a fire for you. Yeah. Probably not very surprising. I'm not very fond of arsonists. Oh, no? no. Um, I was trying to temper some of the language I was using to describe them. Because <laughs> <laughs> guys like this, they are indicative of the selfishness that you see in a lot of them. Yep. We'll, we'll be talking about a couple more fires here where this guy actually is one of the nicer ones. Oh, Because he nice. burned his mother to death oh, in the basement. Oh, we're setting <laughs> the bar low. high. Well, low for this guy, evidently. But uh, high for the evilometer. Well, I'd like to talk about the Happy Land fire. Oh, that'll be oh, a nice so change. No, yeah, I mean, nobody had a problem with it, right? Everyone was happy about that land being This is fire. 1990 New York. Okay. After immigrating to New York City from Cuba, mm-hmm. Julio Gonzalez was working as a warehouse employee when he met Lydia Feliciano, oh, okay. who became his girlfriend. Okay. Uh-huh. A decade later. After losing his job and getting dumped, a drunk Gonzalez visited Feliciano while she was at uh, work as a coat check girl at the Happy Land Social Club and okay. a legal bar in the Bronx. Okay. Feliciano begged him to leave, and Gonzalez shouted threats while being thrown out by the bouncer. Mm-hmm. After, Seen that a million after, times? Yeah, that's called Saturday. Mm-hmm. After purchasing a dollar's worth of gasoline at a nearby gas station, he returned to the club mm-hmm. where he poured the gas over the stairs, the only exit, mm-hmm. and threw a match on it. If only gas had been $4 a gallon in 1990, like it is now, mm. you know, maybe this never would have happened because he might not have been able to afford That's enough right. gas to do it. The fire burned so rapidly that patrons didn't have time to stop what they were doing and flee. Mm-hmm. Most victims were trampled or suffered from asphyxiation. Feliciano was one of the six survivors. Oh, wow. Six. Yeah. Out of a, I don't know how many were in an illegal nightclub with one entrance. About 85 but people died, oh, I think man. it was. Yeah, yeah. The intended target was one of the survivors. Well, I mean, of course she was. She was the Kochek girl. She's like right at the very front. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. You know, she, like she got out with an armload of coats. Gonzalez watched the firefighters battle the blaze, then went home to nap. All right. When police interviewed the survivors, Feliciano told them about her fight with Gonzalez. All right. Okay. Gonzalez admitted to setting the fire. He didn't even get rid of the evidence. His gas-soaked clothes were still in his apartment. I don't think this guy was thinking about consequences or repercussions. Well, so that's the other thing. He was drunk at the time. You know, yeah. I mentioned it earlier. Most arsonists are amateurs. They, they yeah. don't have a they don't have a skill set that they're able to develop. Mm-hmm. How amateur do you need to be to know that you shouldn't bring your gas can that you lit the fire with and your gas-soaked clothes? Back to your house. It doesn't sound like he cared. No, it doesn't sound like he cared. Right? Like yeah. he admitted it, didn't bother covering it up. Yeah, I burned it. And he should have done. He should have burned those clothes while he was still wearing them. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. He was found guilty of 174 charges of murder, two for each person who died. So okay. 87. Okay. Yeah. All right. Wow. And was sentenced to 25 years for each count for a total of 4,350 years. Wow. But now good. He's going to be old when he gets out. <laughs> He's going to be so old. How he? do you get two murder charges per person? That's a good question. Is the court intimating that we could all t- die twice? That we have two lives to, to give? I mean, the murder was so horrible, it counted for tw- oh, two like murders. Oh, uh, like uh, your skin was murdered first, and then your body was murdered yeah, second? He was charged with 174 counts of murder, two for each victim, but he was found guilty of 87 counts of arson and 87 counts of murder. Ah, there you go. So not two ca- it was two counts, but not two counts of murder. Uh, yeah, Got it. arson and murder 87 times. Yep. Wow. I guess people are some people's property. Right, you can you, right because the definition is to light <laughs> somebody's property. Yeah, you burned the person and all the clothes that they were wearing, I which is your property. You, you own your own life, yeah. presumably. Yeah. Oh. I guess 
there's probably a philosopher out there yeah. that could argue that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We mentioned just a, a little bit earlier about uh, arsonists or amateurs, and uh, we have very dedicated, very well-trained uh, fire cause determination experts, fire mm-hmm. investigators. Yep. Um, most departments in the world have them. And I won't talk too much in depth about what they do. I really don't want to, you know, send the arsonists that right. may be listening some to school hot tips. here. Some hot tips. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting because I was watching some documentaries about um, arsonists, mm-hmm. and they and they do go into fairly detailed about how they started the fire, yeah. what what devices they used. They'll usually that show that because like that. by that point in time, they've already caught it, and they know about those ones. So if you use the same technique, they're not always screamingly worried because right. they can they suss can it, out. it out. Yeah. Fire is, is odd in that, of course, it destroys a lot of evidence just by right. burning it, and then the firefighters mm-hmm. come stomping through spraying water everywhere Mm -hmm. but it's amazing how much evidence is left behind it's Mm. it's actually shocking how much delicate evidence is left behind Mm. we'll be discussing an arsonist coming up in a bit whose whose device was three matches a rubber band and a cigarette wow and they they found several of them they weren't completely Mm. destroyed in the fire Mm. i've i've gone into fires afterwards taking my mask off and you go i can smell gasoline in here right Mm. so not everything is destroyed lots is left behind and we have very sophisticated technology very very well educated very smart people um Mm -hmm. who who i've seen them show up at a fire and walk almost in a straight line and they go fire started here yeah, Man. they can trace it back through the visual telltales, right. right back to the point of origin. And much like you, they don't like these arsonists, and they get to work in a job where they get to find them all and exactly. Get them. Yeah, exactly. I, I can imagine that's got to kind of feel good. Yeah. Good times. Maybe they get some kind of sexual satisfaction from it. Sure, <laughs> good for them. From, from but that's an okay an one. That's yeah. okay for them to. Do. Oh yeah, you're all right. If they if they catch an arsonist and get a get a uh, get a rage boner out of it and. Uh, <laughs> Rage boner, yeah, right? Yeah. And fantastic. Is there something you have to tell us about how you get boners, Kevin? I'm, I'm not admitting to anything. This is a 2002 Park County, Colorado. A love letter went terribly wrong in the 2002 case of Terry Barton, a U.S. Forest Service worker who burned a letter from her estranged husband, which caused a massive wildfire that burned 130,000 mm. acres outside of Denver, what? destroyed more than 100 homes, and forced the evacuation of over 5,000 people. Oh, this is oh, a wildfire's so, callback. So- burning love letters investigators found the remnants of some burned matches in a letter mailed to barton who called in the fire and later admitted to starting it okay she told authorities she was burning papers that outlined a separation agreement with her estranged husband in a campground fire ring when the mm. fire sparked and raged out of control right authorities doubt her story okay hundreds of firefighters fought the fast-moving fire which caused nearly 40 million dollars in firefighting costs mm-hmm. Barton pleaded guilty, was sentenced to six years in federal prison, and was ordered to reimburse the federal give government fourteen point six million dollars. Oh, okay. So, wait, so let me, let this me is this one way. of the lady arsonists. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, larcenists, if you will. Larcenists. <laughs> uh, so uh, she's burning love letters, but she didn't burn them like in a fire pit, like she says. Is that the argument? I think that's what they're guilty? saying. That she might have just been str- like throwing them yeah, around or something, or or just cobbled a story together afterwards right she was just doing something stupid and this yeah. is what she covered it up right with. yeah as opposed to like like you know lighting a love letter on fire and then like flicking it into the yeah. like dry woods if the authorities doubt her story maybe they didn't find the matches and letter anywhere near any kind of safe fire right? well and the fact that she was convicted and sentenced to jail yeah. says they didn't they, they found it a criminal act there was mm-hmm. some convincing evidence to suggest well in 1970 in nashville indiana uh-huh 52-year-old Clarence Roberts was one of the most prominent citizens in the small town of Nashville. Okay. On the evening of November 18th, 1970, a garage on his property was destroyed in a fire, 
and the badly burned body of a man was found at the scene. Oh, mm. crime cover up. He was tentatively identified as Clarence. Oh. But the story soon became a lot more complex. Okay. All right. Clarence's wife, Geneva, was slated to receive a substantial life insurance payout for her husband's death. But suspicion grew that the dead man was not actually Clarence. Hmm. The victim had a different blood type. Oh. And even though Clarence's ring was later found among the Debris, it showed no signs of heat damage and appeared to have been planted there. So, but it, I mean, it is possible that Clarence could have changed his blood completely before he like got caught in that fire. I think right? so. Yeah, Keith, Keith think Richards so. does it all follow the time. Up, follow <laughs> up to true. our blood episode. Both of the fire victims' hands were burned off during the fire. Oh, how convenient! And not just the fingerprints, but the whole hand. Yes, mm-hmm. Geneva never received the life insurance money. Ten years later, she would be killed when a fire engulfed her home. Oh, wow. Incredibly, she was found next to the burned body of a man believed to be the actual Clarence Roberts. Oh, so they died in a fire. Oh, that, that is karma. If you don't believe in karma, this story might just change your mind. Shortly before the first fire in 1970, Clarence had been suffering from serious financial problems. Mm-hmm. The day before his supposed death, uh, Clarence was seen around town with an unidentified transient. Oh, wow. Um, okay. mm-hmm. It is theorized that Clarence may have murdered this man and used his body to fake his own death. Mm-hmm. Clarence's plan would have been to disappear and start a new life once Geneva cashed in on his life insurance policy. Of course. Throughout the decade, there were numerous sightings of Clarence in Mexico, mm-hmm. New Mexico, all right, oh, and wow. Germany. So he, he preferred New Mexico and Old Mexico. Yeah, he liked all, all right. the Mexicos. All right. And it seems possible that once he realized his wife would not collect the money, he decided to kill both her and himself in a murder-suicide. Oh, wow. However, speculation remains that an unknown third party started the fire which killed Clarence in Geneva, leaving this bizarre case with more questions than answers. So plan A, I'm going to burn this transient we're going to get money. Plan B, we'll just burn each other to death. And right. Things right. will be not as bad. As if being a drifter isn't hard enough. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Hey, you've always don't, got people don't looking shit at you. on the life of a drifter. Yeah. It's a, it's a romantic and. Uh... <laughs> uh, you, seem, you seem cold. Come to my house and exactly. I'll warm you up. Yeah. Got it. Mm-hmm. You can't trust anyone that's trying to be nice to you. Ugh. You need a convenient body, don't you? Mm-hmm. 1979, Sydney, Australia. For over 40 years, Luna Park, Sydney was one of the most prominent amusement parks in all of Australia, and one of their more popular rides was the Ghost Train. That was it. It went like one mile an hour, <laughs> and it made that noise and the whole time. this guy behind you in a sheet. No, no, no. Going, it's, uh, or, he would have no, got away with it, too, if it weren't for you pesky kids. It's just a regular, like, kid-style train, yeah. but the guy at the front who, like, pulls the little toot-toot thing, yeah. it goes, woo. Oh, I see. Yeah, it. It, was, it wasn't supposed to do that. It was kind of broken. Yeah, and like, well, <laughs> well, it was called, called the Ghost, the ghost train. train. However, on uh, in June of 1979, the Ghost Train became the site of a tragedy when it was consumed by a massive fire. Mm. The fire broke out inside the train tunnel while over 30 passengers were still on the ride. The majority of them would be pulled out of their cars to safety. Unfortunately, after the fire was extinguished, the remains of seven victims were found inside the tunnel, including John Godson and his two young sons and four other adolescent boys. It was tentatively believed that electrical problems were responsible. However, eight years later... Oh. A woman named Anne Buckingham, of the palace fame, yep. came forward with a shocking allegation. Buckingham was the niece of Abe Saffron, 
of the spice fame. <laughs> One of the most notorious underworld crime figures in the history of Australia. Oh. Saffron recently passed away and was suspected of being responsible for numerous acts of arson throughout his life. Buckingham claimed that her uncle had been intent on buying Luna Park, and although he never intended to get anyone killed, he had ordered the ghost train fire as part of a plan to gain control of the park's lease. Hmm. Even though Buckingham hmm? soon recanted her statements, they hmm. were still published in the Sydney Morning Herald. Huh. After nearly 35 years, it remains a mystery. Whether Abe Saffron was responsible for the ghost train fire of the whole thing was just a tragic accident. Oh, possible arson. A, a ghost arson. Now, in 1961, in Niteroi, Brazil? N-I-T-E-R-O-I? Niteroi, maybe? Uh, it's a municipality in the state of Rio de Janeiro. Okay. And on December 15th, 1961, the Grand Circus Norte Americano was performing. Uh, the Grand Black Circus. A popular show that routinely sold out, the circus set up multiple huge tents for each act. Mm-hmm. On this evening, one of the tents caught fire. Okay. Within, How- within minutes, the entire tent was consumed by the flames. And somewhere in the neighborhood, yep. between 323 or 372 people, I was fa- uh, found different numbers, right, were killed by the blaze. That's a lot of people. That's, yep. that's like hundreds of people. Possibly up to 500 total, including those who succumbed to injuries. Oof. This is the... Highest death count I could find for an arson-related fire. Okay. There's, no, there's no handy lists on yeah. the internet that I was able to yeah, yeah, track down. Yeah. Uh, upon investigation, the case was determined to be arson as a disgruntled employee lit the, te- lit the tent ablaze. Okay. However, I also found citations of investigators of investigations that pointed to electrical problems that were covered up. Right. So mm. maybe there might have been some scapegoat as a All the stuff I've ever read always had the disgruntled employee. Yeah. Right. Mm. It was the stuff I came across. The well, most. it could be disgruntled employee, and that started a fire. And then the fact that there was not good electrical just made yeah. it worse. Like, it, it, it worse. You know, yeah. And it, it came to light after the investigation. Yeah. Yeah. The movement for the restoration of the Ten Commandments of God was a Ugandan doomsday cult. Oh, mm. wow. There you go. Ugandan doomsday cult. Great punk band. <laughs> yeah, It was formed in the late 1980s when a politician and banana beer brewer claimed they had visions of the Virgin Mary. Right. I like the fact that there's a banana beer brewer in this story. Yeah. yeah. That you can make beer from bananas. And no wonder you have Th- this visions. This is the real story. This is the real story. That's We're right. burying the lead. <laughs> and when you drink it, you have vis- visions of the Virgin Mary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's true. It wasn't a good banana beer brewer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Unless know. that's what you wanted. Maybe, yeah. yeah, maybe it was. Mm-hmm. So who's the hallucinogenic Yeah. In early 2000, followers of the religious movement perished in a devastating fire and a series of poisonings and killings that were either a group suicide or an orchestrated mass murder by group leaders after their predictions of the apocalypse failed to come about. Well, there was an apocalypse coming. It was just very specific. No, this is the apocalypse. Yeah, it is coming to just these people. Personal apocalypse. And the apocalypse. Mm -hmm. In 1999, leaders urged their followers to confess their sins in preparation for the end. Right. January 1st, 2000 passed without the advent of the apocalypse, and the movement began to unravel. Oh, no. Uh, The worst. Yeah. It's the worst kind of a movement, an unraveling one. Ugandan police believe that some members who were required to sell their possessions and turn over the money to the movement rebelled and demanded the return of their money. Of course. Another, you owe me for yeah. no apocalypse. Yeah. You said there'd be no apocalypse. Me apocalypse. Give me my money back. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Pay up. I, I need, want a refund. I need that They're money. Just asking for a cult refund. Yeah. Yeah. Another date was immediately predicted. March 17, 2000 was the new end of the world. Sure. Okay, of course. Just move those goalposts. We, we forgot to carry the one. Right. 
Yeah. You know. yeah. The movement held a huge party at Kanungu and roasted three bulls and drank 70 crates of soft drinks. Oh, that's only like two wow. people there. That sounds like my kind of party. That's actually. a lot of bulls and soft drinks. <laughs> yeah. They were all out of Kool-Aid, so it's they had their soft own, drinks. It's yeah. their own kind of Red Bull. Yeah. On the 17th, group members arrived at their church in Kanangu to pray and sing. Minutes later, nearby villagers heard an explosion, and mm. the building was gutted in an intense fire that killed all 530 in attendance, including dozens of children. Okay, so uh, maybe what, this is the new most amount of this people. Might be well, wait, most, yeah. is this arson, or is this a callback to our explosions episode? It's a little of both. Uh, it says first here, explosion, the fire. then fire. Explosions are arson, too. Yep. Oh, there you go. explosions are if arson, you, if, too. If you have fire... Following the explosion, it's, it's arson. Yeah. Okay. I should get a t-shirt made. The windows and doors of the building had been boarded up. The mm-hmm. five principal cult leaders were assumed to have died in the fire. Several days before, movement leader Dominic Kataribabo was seen buying 50 liters of sulfuric acid, which may have started the fire. Okay. Okay. Day- you, how do you start a uh, fire? Oh, no. You know what? We don't. <laughs> we What's don't want to. Let's not. I was about to ask how you start a fire with sulfuric acid, but we don't We, we don't want to turn this episode into arsonist how to. school. The how yeah, to. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. Arson Tradecraft 101. Yeah. Yeah. We've, yeah. Already, we've already said too much. Don't. Yeah. don't just don't. Don't do it. Don't. Yeah, go, fire. Just rewind back to our public service announcement and don't do it. I would uh, go to the firefighters and say, I really want to set some fires. Can I do it safely, please? Where, how can I do that? Yeah. yeah. Can I come in your training area and get off on it? Is Just that okay? go watch the Yule Log show. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They or have I, it. They have it on Netflix. You can just load yeah. up and yeah. watch it watch all hours. day long. I like the part where the hand comes in and puts a log in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, YouTube actually has uh, like I think a five-hour Darth Vader burning uh, yes, video that Return you can watch if you if you mm. don't want to to watch there just a go. log. The Yule, the Sith log, the Sith Yule. Yeah, yeah. Days after the church fire, police investigated movement properties and discovered hundreds of bodies at sites across southern Uganda, including six bodies sealed in the latrine of the Kanungu compound, as well as over 300 at various other compounds, estates, and farms. Right. Some were poisoned and stabbed. Move. Yeah. Move. So the fire was the let's get most of them, and then the rest yeah. were all taken out yeah. that if way. If I can't have my apocalypse, nobody does, and I'm taking you all with me. <laughs> Well, no, no. If if apocalypse does not come to Kanungu, Kanungu must go to the apocalypse. Ah, yes, of course, I like of course. It. The University of Washington firebombing incident. Okay, was a 2001 arson. A firebomb was set off at the Center for Urban Horticulture, causing oh. an estimated four million dollars in damages. What does somebody have against horticulture? Well, the Earth Liberation Front. Oh, they're against horts. <laughs> Claimed. Or are they against culture? They claimed responsibility for the fire. Okay. They um, are liberating Earth from all of us non-Earth-like humans. They're liberating Earth from structures, evidently. From Maybe. horticulture structures. The motivation for the arson was rooted in suspicions by the ELF that Professor Bradshaw, a plant geneticist, was engaging in experiments funded by the industry produced genetically engineered trees. It was hmm. a genetically engineered tree thing. What what was the motivation behind genetically engineered trees? Like I get like like bumper crops or whatever. You genetically engineer them so that they can like resist. You know, oh, maybe fire or, fire resistant trees. Fire resistant trees. Yeah. Do, do we want wood that doesn't burn? Uh, <laughs> I do. Well, I want to make my house. Work. Yeah, use your use it in your house. Right, two uh, kinds of two kinds of wood. All right. Okay. In their statement, uh-huh. the ELF claimed that Bradshaw continues to unleash mutant genes into the environment that is certain. To cause irreversible harm 
uh, irreversible harm to forest ecosystems. So these are crackpots. As long as universities continue to pursue this reckless science. Oh, the air quotes science? Okay. Mm -hmm. They run the risk of suffering severe losses. That's because their definition of science is totally different. Mm -hmm. Our message remains clear. We are determined to stop genetic engineering. You know, the one thing, one positive thing I can say about the ELF is I like that song of theirs. Don't bring me down. You got me going. Don't bring me down. Is that ELO? I don't know. Oh, maybe. Sorry, I got it wrong. Forget it. Move on. Okay. Don't bring me down. Bruce. Who's Bruce? Don't bring me down. Every Australian ever. Oh, okay. Horticulture. Don't bring me down. I thought it should be Proust. Marcel Proust. Oh. Don't bring me down, Proust. Was Proust a bummer? Let's 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 pretend like we're, we're educated the, and say we, that he was. <laughs> we're getting off the rails here. Yeah. You know, you, as a guest, you just <laughs> sit here and just watch it unfold before you. <laughs> Bradshaw was quoted in the University of Washington alumni magazine as saying, "I have never genetically engineered a tree, much less released one into the environment. Even if he had, it's not a fucking crime." While he considered, well, not what if you make not Griffiths? legally. What if you make triffids? It might be a crime against nature. Yeah, triffids. There well, you go. You uh, would need the Earth Liberation Front for that because triffids are aliens. Well, his response, Bradshaw's response should have been, why the hell would we want to genetically modify a tree? <laughs> what would be the point? Well, he had considered doing genetic research. At the time, he was doing experiments on transgenic tissue samples uh-huh. from poplar trees, yeah. a fast-growing species, which he hoped could reduce the need to log natural forests if raised privately. Mm. Right. Oh, that would be so terrible for the Earth to not yep. to have these farms of trees mm. that we could just keep growing instead of having... You fucking idiots. Mm. The fire took the biggest toll on the work of some two dozen colleagues involved in a wide range of plant research. Yep. Other research projects destroyed by the fire include wetlands restoration and endangered stickweed plants. Oh, the stickweed. Mm. Oh, the lowly stickweed. Oh, you know what, though? I mean, it's unfortunately named. Like, nobody likes a stick. Nobody likes a weed. So then you you come up with the stickweed, you're like, "Mm, screw that. Yeah. The investigation into the incident was eventually merged into an FBI-led affair known as Operation Backfire. Oh, yeah. It does sound like they're lighting their farts on fire, though. <laughs> it does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or they're like, they set fire to our stuff, we're going to set fire to their stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Baxi's. Baxi's Fire. Yeah. Operation mm-hmm. Baxi's Fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, which also covered six other investigations into radical environmentalist activity. Okay. Lacey Philobaum pled guilty along with Jennifer Kolar... Oh, yeah. A, Kling- oh. a Klingon. More larcenists. Uh, yeah, to her role in the arson. Both women made an agreement to assist prosecutors in exchange for reduced sentences. Okay. Hmm. Both women have since been the target of derision by other activists. Mm. Your How activism not? is dumb. How yeah. dare you turn on us after setting an arson fire? Mm. Bill Rogers, considered by the FBI to have been a significant organizer within ELF, was charged with one count of arson. He later committed suicide in his jail cell by asphyxiating himself with a plastic bag. Mm. Two other conspirators were charged in this and other arson incidents. About something that wasn't even going on. I'm going to burn this building down because they're doing this. And we're, we're not We're not doing that. You uh, burn! Burn the stickweed you know, and then ruined like five of their own lives. Mm-hmm. You know, all going to jail and whatnot. Activism gone wrong I, mm-hmm. and we i think we are all generally kind of environmentalists here we we agree that the environment should be protected i share things yes. on facebook all yeah. the time Ex- that- yes exactly mm-hmm. but like genetic engineering is not bad we're trying to do it to actually help the environment 
Um, you Frankenstein yes. monster. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the good thing that was tre- treated badly by Joe. the ignorant villagers. <laughs> yeah. Joe. Even though I was very nice, I was just scary looking, just like genetic modification. Joe. Monsanto. Monsanto. I'll give you a whole Monsanto. article on how Monsanto's actually Monsanto. not all that evil. I mean, they do Monsanto. some <laughs> shitty business stuff. Monsanto. I think they're a, a major corporation that's. Uh, does what major corporations do? Yeah, but they the, Monsanto. The, the, it's evil, a verb the now. evil claims yeah. are all totally mm. horseshit. I feel like, we're just, getting off the rails again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. fuck it. Well, this should be the uh, the railways episode because we, we're getting off and on the rails yeah. so often. Very famous one. Mm-hmm. 1980s Los Angeles, the Pillow Pyro. Oh. I hate this guy. I oh. really hate this he guy. He sounds so cute, oh, though. The, the Pillow Pyro? Yeah. Uh, the alliteration, your favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, special thanks to our researcher, Dave E., for uh, work on this one. Yep. 1984, South Pasadena. In October, a major fire broke out at a hardware store in a shopping plaza. Mm-hmm. The store was completely destroyed by the fire, and four people died in the blaze, Ooh. including a two-year-old child. Ooh, what in a hardware store? Yeah, what a two-year-old. Well, it was it was housewares. It would almost be like a combination hardware and a Michael's craft store kind okay. of place. You have to All imagine right. that kind of put together. He was but there with his grandmother. Wait, was uh, the fire? 
The fire was lit. Well, it was open for business. Wasn't like lit like after hours or something. No, the oh. pillow pyro. His his thing was bi- uh, businesses open. Arson investigators from around California converged on the destroyed store and declared mm-hmm. the cause to be an electrical fire. Fire. The one arson investigator insisted the cause was arson. Right. Three years later. So if this were a movie, that would be like the the, you know, the, the Nicolas Cage character. It's arson. Maybe. Nobody believes him. Because they're it like, would look probably at him. be the Donald Sutherland character, actually. <laughs> Something doesn't smell right. We're standing in the middle of an ex-burnt building. Of course it doesn't smell right. <laughs> I mean about this fire. Uh-huh. Three years later, a convention for arson investigators was held in the city of Fresno. Okay. During and after the convention, several suspicious fires were set in Bakersfield nearby. Okay. Presumably. Mm-hmm. This, combined with the recovery of a single unmatched fingerprint left on a piece of notebook paper as part of a time-delay incendiary device, led Captain Casey of the Bakersfield Fire Department to suspect that an arson investigator from the Los Angeles area was responsible for these arsons. Oh, this is getting interesting. So, Mm -hmm. it's actually an arson investigator who's behind it all. This is all, this is craziness. Five years after the first incident in March 1989, another series of arsons was committed along the California coast in close conjunction with a conference of arson investigators in Pacific Grove. Wow, Mm. this guy really, really doesn't, he's not very good at covering his tracks, obviously. By comparing the list of attendees from the Fresno conference with the list of attendees of the Pacific Grove conference, Captain Casey was able to create a short list of 10 suspects. Wow. All the people on this short list were cleared of suspicion when their fingerprints were compared with the fingerprint fingerprint that Casey had recovered from the piece of notebook paper found at that arson crime scene. Uh-oh. This this really is the plot of a movie, right? Mm-hmm. He, he like hits a br- he thinks he's got it solved. He hits a brick wall. You know, there's absolutely you know, all this like sort of insider uh, Hollywood kind of conspiracy. has done. It. Hollywood has made this into a movie. Oh, well, oh, of course they did. A couple of years later. Another series of arson fires broke out, this time in and around the L.A. metropolitan area. Mm-hmm. As a result, a task force, nicknamed the Pillow Pyro Task Force. Now, why was this guy called the Pillow Pyro? His, his device was the one I mentioned earlier. So he would take a cigarette and wrap three paper matches around it, yeah. put a rubber band around that to hold it together. Then yeah. that would all be wrapped in a little piece of just yellow legal stationery, the, the mm-hmm. yellow with uh, the blue lines on it, mm-hmm. just a piece of that wrapped around it. Mm-hmm. And then he would take it into a store that sold like craft supplies and go to the, the foam rubber that's used for making pillows and that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he would stick it in a pile of the foam rubber light the cigarette and it takes you know six or seven minutes for it to burn down till it hits the matches right they flare up they set the styrofoam on or the the, the foam rubber on fire and that stuff is just basically solid gasoline mm-hmm. yeah. and hmm. boom it's gone right very effective and incredibly fast right which is why two-year-olds their stubby little legs can't run out of the store in time investigators finally matched the fingerprint casey had to john orr an arson investigator with the Glendale Fire Department in Southern California. Right. The investigator who had insisted that the first South Pasadena hardware store fire in 1984 was arson. Oh, so he investigated his own arson. Yeah. He he kept talking about how there's this one guy out there that I can't get. Because he was, <laughs> yeah. he, he fit all the categories of the weird person who's an arsonist. You know, again, right. he, he had always wanted to be a police officer. He'd never been able to get on the police department and became a firefighter. And then arson investigators in Glendale are considered law enforcement officers. So he was so happy carrying his weapon. Right. You know, he was always prominent with a gun on his hip. And he was always being smacked down by the police authorities that worked with him saying, stop telling people you're a police officer. Stop telling people you're law enforcement. Oh. And he, you know, he, he was always, he was 
very successful at um, very short-term relationships with women. Uh, he even had a string of marriages. But you could see all of his life was a mess. Disasters was with, with this. Trouble with authority, but desperately wanting himself to be an authority figure hmm. and wanting everyone to admire him. So he's out lighting this fire and becoming a top-notch arson investigator. He was the one investigator at the very first fire who said that it was an arsonist yes. and not an electrical fire? He was yeah. very upset. That, that he wasn't getting the credit. credit. That, yeah. Or then became a suspect and the subject of investigation and surveillance for several months. He was alerted to this surveillance effort when he discovered and removed a tracking device that belonged to the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms hidden under the bumper of his vehicle. All right. However, hmm. a teletrack tracking device was later installed behind his dashboard when he brought his city vehicle for, an, for service some months later. Mm-hmm. Shortly thereafter, Orr was present at the scene of a suspicious fire, so Orr was arrested in 1991. Mm-hmm. Right. He was convicted of three counts of arson and sentenced to three consecutive terms of 10 years in prison. He still maintains his innocence. The mm. ATF believes that Orr set nearly 2,000 fires what? between 1984 and 1991. Mm-hmm. What? Yeah, he was a busy man. Furthermore, arson investigators cited that, Orr, that after Orr was arrested, the number of brush fires in the nearby foothill areas decreased by over 90%. What? And one of the things he used to do is he would scamper up into the hills, light brush fires, get the departments responding to those, then he'd get down into the city and light two or three stores on fire at the same time. Look at the power wow. I have. Look at the and then he would just miraculously show up. Part of what undid him is he lit one fire and then raced home, got the phone call from dispatch saying, here's a fire. We want our arson investigator there. Right. But they gave him the wrong address. But he, but he went, he went to, to the, the right, right place anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nice. Wow. Uh-huh. Uh, 2,000 fires in the span of what, six years? Yeah, uh, seven. Seven years, 2,000 fires. That's 300. He's lighting a fire a day. He's a busy man. A film entitled Point of Origin, starring Ray Liotta as John Orr, was released by HBO in 2002. Uh, the title of the film is a reference to a novel of the same name written by Orr about a serial arsonist who is also a fireman. Please tell me he didn't make money off this. Invis- no, but he wrote it before he went to jail? I don't think the book got published. No, they found it in manuscript form. Yeah. All right. Jail in 92, and this is 10 years later. Okay. It, investigators believe that Orr's novel chronicles real acts of arson due to similar ter- similarities with fires that they believe Orr actually set. Mm-hmm. Orr states the novel is a work of fiction. It has no relation to any actual events. Right. He has expressly stated the character of Aaron Stiles, the character in this book of course was a composite of arsonists i arrested i'm surprised the character's name isn't super styles coolio well another arson investigator noted that aaron styles is an anagram for i set la arson all right of course yeah. he he actually wrote this ma- manuscript while he was lighting the fires wow he, right. he was taking writing workshops and and writing his book and i mm-hmm. mean he doesn't hide stuff the fires are exactly his fires the devices are the ones he was using and even the characters uh, or the, even the names of characters that die in the book in the fires were the names of people that died in the fires he right. set again he's one of those people they he thinks he's extraordinarily clever <laughs> right. Yeah. As as he shouts at them from prison. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that he's in, and he to this day he's saying, "I'm innocent." We got your fingerprints. Uh, Come on. And the book you wrote. And the book you wrote. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you you yeah. just happened to find the right address when you were given the wrong one. Mm-hmm. I mean, 1995 Seattle, the Mary Pang Warehouse fire. Mm. 
On January 5th, 1995, Martin Pang torched a Chinatown International District building owned by his wealthy parents, killing Lieutenant Walter Kilgore, Lieutenant Gregory Shoemaker, and firefighters Randall Turlicker and James Brown in what remains the Seattle Fire Department's deadliest fire. The blaze was set, according to prosecutors, so Pang could collect insurance money on the warehouse. He was adopted as an infant from Hong Kong by his parents, a Mercer Island couple who indulged Pang with an almost unlimited allowance. Mm -hmm. Friends and associates of Pang described him in 1995 interviews as a handsome, charming, intelligent, and cunning man with a propensity for fast cars and violence. No. So a little different from what you said. He's no, handsome. keep going. Oh, so okay. he's, um, he's, uh, uh, he's Vin Diesel. He's Vin Diesel. Like, I, well, he, in fact, this guy... I don't think he's, for violence, fast cars. In this case, you, you would need Dr. Rob for this, but I think he's less of a pyromaniac and more of a sociopath. Yeah, I think you're Judging right. with what's about to come well, up. Well, here we go. His right. four marriages all end in divorce and violence. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. According to court records, he broke the back of one ex-wife with a kung fu kick. Oh, uh, Shattered mm. the jaw of another and severe, severely beat the face of a fiancé. This guy's... Uh, a real class act. Yep. Pang flew from Los Angeles to Seattle, set the fire, then returned to L.A. before fleeing to Mexico City, then to Rio de Janeiro. Okay. He was arrested in Brazil and spent a month fighting extradition. On a separate note, the fire went very badly. He nice. Once he did his work, I've set the fire and, and I'm off. He, he actually, uh, part of the warehouse complex... Um, was a storage area he used for fuel because he was a race car driver. So he had fuel and lubricants and that sort of thing. So he right. lit that area on fire. Right. But the fire from the fire department's point of view went very badly. Uh, I don't want to, you know, insult the Seattle Fire Department and my colleagues. There was an enormous investigation afterwards. I have the 50-page uh, final summary of the report by the right. Federal Emergency Management Agency. You know, fire departments are human beings. People make mistakes. I, yeah. I think even the Seattle Fire Department would say mistakes were made at this fire. Right. Mm-hmm. They they operated for well over an hour, unaware there was a basement in the building, and that's actually where the fire was. So the firefighters were standing on top of the floor as it slowly burned away. Yeah. Um, there were teams operating inside that weren't communicating correctly. So the team that was standing above the fire went, we've put the fire out, everything's good. And meanwhile, another team's going... There's a massive fire because they were on a different floor and everybody thought they were on the same floor. Oh. Right. Mm. So things were just going badly. Yeah. Uh, and it happens. Uh, so Yeah, well, there's uh, you know, lots of smoke and confusion. And at, confusion. At giant warehouse yeah. fires. Yeah. It's a little bit understandable. Yep. So they didn't realize there was a basement until the floor gave way and four f- firefighters fell into it. Two right. were most likely killed almost instantly. Um, it looks like their their um, masks, their apparatus, the breathing apparatus failed instantly. So it was probably ripped off as they fell. Or mm-hmm. the other two actually managed to get a fair distance away from the seat of the fire, uh, and then they most likely suffocated, right? Or mm-hmm. or had their lungs burned when they took their masks off when they ran out of air. Right. right. Mm-hmm. So he managed to get to Brazil. All this ugliness is going on back in Seattle. He's fighting it. Eventually, he was extradited because Brazil wouldn't extradite him if he was going to get the death penalty. He was he was given just a, a relatively low arson charge. He's actually coming out in 2018. Mm. Uh, and when he's done interviews, he always he, t- he has no feelings about anything. He goes, I set a fire. They're the ones that screwed up, and it's their fault they died. Right. So he has no right. sympathy. So I always wonder, you know, is he going to have a greeter at the prison when he gets out in 2018? Mm. He's not a very nice man. I'm sure his parents have no problem giving him the insurance money from the uh, from the warehouse fire. Oh, is that a part of his unlimited allowance? That's what he did it for, right? Yeah. He, Mission accomplished. He expected he was going to get multi-millions mm-hmm. from it. So we've got an instant follow-up. In the news. 2013 Seattle. Uh-huh. 
57-year-old Martin Pang, the arsonist who set the 1995 warehouse that killed four Seattle firefighters, was positioning himself for an after-prison life of luxury through two schemes hatched behind bars, one to steal the identity of witnesses against him and a second to siphon millions of dollars from the Tulalip Resort Casino. Tulalip. Tulalip. Mm-hmm. Pang engineered an elaborate identity fraud scheme with an alleged accomplice on the outside that focused on stealing the identities of firefighters, police officers, and witnesses who played a role in his criminal case. So it was like a little bit of, uh, I want the money, but I also want a little revenge on people who put me away, maybe? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, make it taste that much sweeter? Peng planned to use the money upon his release from prison to flee to Brazil, where he had fled mm. after the warehouse he fire really and lived a Brazil. luxurious life. Mm-hmm. Pang is serving a sentence of up to 35 years and planned to use personal information from court documents on his case mm-hmm. to create false identities and build a stash of cash in an offshore account. Okay. Pang was scheduled for release in 2018, but now could face an additional three to five years in prison. Yay! Yay. That's not enough. Mm-hmm. No. Pang allegedly targeted at least 20, 20 individuals involved in this case and had already taken a substantial step towards stealing the identities of three people. Seattle Fire Chief Gregory Dean said the recent allegations against Pang have brought back painful memories for the victims' families and the city's firefighters. Mm-hmm. They deserve to heal from this tragedy, said Dean, right. who has a photo of the four fallen firefighters on his office wall. Pang had birth dates and social security numbers of fire and police personnel from training records that were included in discovery materials turned over by prosecutors as part of the man's laughter case. Right. State law has since changed, allowing agents to... Agencies to redact social security numbers from such records. Right, mm. got it. Seattle police said uh, McLean has been arrested, but jail records do not list him as an inmate in either of the Snohomish or King County jails. That's the alleged That's the accomplished alleged on the outside. Accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. Arson, uh, man's laughter, and uh, fraud. Now identity fraud. Yep, this guy's a real charmer. But he didn't do anything wrong. Pop culture. Uh, what well, can you talk about? A uh, backdraft. Again? Well, why not? I mean, it's uh, it's pretty much spot on, like topic wise. It's, it's about true. arson. Yeah, yeah. We did mention it in our uh, burns episode because mm. of all the burns on uh, mm. on uh, Donald Sutherland uh, and the other guy. Oh, uh, Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro. That, uh, yeah. Yeah, that was a cast of thousands in that movie. You know, like Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah, William Baldwin. Yeah, he he got it on on the top of a fire truck. Huh? And Kurt Russell. Guys, yeah, uh, you know, around the firehouse, you guys all just like go, <laughs> hey, hey, it's time to get it on on top of the fire truck. Just like Billy Baldwin did it. Fire fact, you don't even call it. You don't even like refer to it by anything else. It's like, oh, I'm Billy Baldwining it tomorrow night. You know, fire, we wash fire hose after every fire, but it's yeah. still it's dragged through the ground. It's covered in grit. It's, it's not. No. It's not a suitable a place to lay down your no. special lady friend. No, and uh, you know, uh, make the beast with two backs. No. Unless that's your thing. Dirty, dirty right? hoses. Mm-hmm. It's going to smell like a fire. Dirt. Maybe his pyrophilia oh, is just oh, yeah. the smell of a smoky Could truck be. after a fire. Yeah, you know, if you're crazy, yeah, sure, what the heck. Sure. Maybe she We're said she crazy. wanted him to give her his dirty hose, oh, yeah. and she meant his penis, <laughs> uh, and he misunderstood. It was, like, oh, it was one on top of the fire truck coming yeah. up here. Yeah, exactly. And it was like, it's just all a misunderstanding. Um, Donald Sutherland, though, he he's his character, uh, Ronald. The well, he is ugly. He mm-hmm. does such a good job on that, and of course he's he's playing the the pyromaniac um, uh, professional torch who has a job goes wrong, and that's why he gets burned, and that's why he's in jail. Mm-hmm. But just his characterization of did the fire look at you? 
Mm, it yeah. did. And yeah. it's, he's really pulling off creepy mm. really well in that. When it was first released, they actually sent packages to almost every fire department in North America trying to encourage us to go to the movie. Mm. And in your the letter that came with it actually said, what the right stuff did for astronauts backdraft will do for firefighters <laughs> wow nice yeah i remember that's going well that's not going to encourage me to go to this movie actually. put that on the poster another creepy arsonist in a movie mm-hmm. uh i watched and i believe you watched also the last alarm from 1940 1940 film it's a very mm-hmm. short movie it's only it's not even an hour yeah oh there you go and it's all on uh you well, can get public on YouTube. domain so yeah. apparently there's lots of different edits yeah mm-hmm. you can find yeah um but yeah i think the original was like an hour yeah Back so. when movies didn't have to stick by any rules or regulations. Do whatever you wanted. And it's about a fireman gets relieved from the whole force. Mandatory retirement. Mandatory retirement. And he's all stumbling around at home. Oh, I don't have a job. I'm mm-hmm. useless to society now. Drives Here, let nuts. me help. Oh, you broke all the dishes. Get out of the kitchen kind of a thing. All right. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And uh, so he's kind of moping about. And there's a, a series of arsons happening, happening around town. Right. By this guy who... He's pretty creepy. He's pretty creepy. He was, that look he gets on his face when he sees fire. Yeah, he's an antiques yeah. dealer, and he has a very, like, mm, licking his lips and, and uh, touching his fingers together oh, while like, he's watching a fire. Really? Literally? Like, oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Stealing his evil fingers and licking his Almost. Lips. It's pretty right. over the top. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, 1940. This, this movie doesn't hesitate to go over the top. The brush salesman, who yeah. sounds like Elmer Fudd. Who sounds like Elmer Fudd. Uh, uh, and you're like, really? Wow. Good times. <laughs> yep. Uh, so he ends up being called in to help uh, on this investigation because his his daughter is dating an arson investigator. Right. And uh, everyone's very weirdly connected in this movie. Like yeah. the arsonist yeah. is selling, has sold uh, some salt, salt and pepper, pepper shakers. shakers that is getting delivered to the house while they're having a talk about the arson investigation. Right. And so it's all very <laughs> plot manipulative. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like a, f- a game of fiasco. Well, it's almost as if... probably never made. Never made. I haven't played it, but it I've was a little it. strange. The the lead female in it, I I have to admit. Now I don't have the greatest eyesight, and I was watching this without my glasses. But I thought it was an actor who was a male in drag for about <laughs> half the movie. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, I, Which, I, it could have happened. Sure, it could have been. Know? Well, it was just Mickey it was Rooney that, played a played a Japanese man for God's well, sake. Well, it was the 1940s makeup, and she had you know they shaved off the eyebrows and penciled them on really right, thin, so she yeah. looked a bit like divine. Right. Okay. Okay. Right. Uh, it was by no means a great movie, right? But it was a short movie <laughs> that, yes so that's that's something you could say about it yeah absolutely is anybody else watching the tv series gotham i watched that episode that introduced the character firefly okay i think it's called is that what they called her firefly there well there's they never two really referred to her true. by there's, name in the episode there's two fire setting characters and uh, in DC, yeah, there's Firebug, yeah, who's definitely an arsonist. Yeah, okay, mm-hmm. and then there's three, at least three versions of the character Firefly. Okay, one of which is definitely an arsonist. Got it. And I did watch that episode of Gotham last night where they introduced her and she gets her costume. Yeah, it's right in the middle of season two. Yeah, right. And uh, it's actually a pretty good episode. It's a uh, you got know, the penguin. Uh, the penguin has been in since episode one. Okay, uh, so you obviously have not. been This is the only attention. episode of Gotham that I've watched more than the first five minutes. Of. I've seen them all, and okay. season two is much it, like I liked season one, but season two is excellent. Okay, like, really great. All right, and uh, and uh, this episode where these three arsonists yeah. get uh, professional arsonists, professional arsonists, uh, they get hired to light a series of fires over several evenings to create a distraction. So. The top dog villain can uh, can do what he pleases. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, in his little side plot, 
And uh, and yeah, they uh, it's two brothers and a sister, and the two brothers uh, abuse the sister mercilessly. She gets revenge on them by torching them alive. Yeah, I did not watch that episode, but <laughs> hmm. I heard about it. Uh-huh. And it's uh, her character is pretty uh, well. It's a female, and none of the comic book characters have been female. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but the costume is very much the same, and the the idea is very much the same. Mm. She decided that she was going to perform arson for uh, you know all the downtrodden women of the world because she'd been so mercilessly abused by her brothers. Oh, is that right? Uh, and so she broke into a uh, a uh, human trafficking. Uh, Auction. Oh, okay. Where and then uh, you know basically uh, lit all the uh, the the human traffickers on fire and blowed wow. everything up. Yeah, and then all these scantily clad women fled into the night. So the only mm. thing I'm confused about with this mm-hmm. series, and this is not arson related. Okay, not but specifically. When is it arson supposed related? to be set? It's a prequel to the Batman world that we know. It's, okay, uh, Bruce Wayne is like thirteen or fourteen or fifteen. So it's set in the eighties. Because it doesn't seem very 80s. Oh, they Gotham is timeless. They haven't exactly chosen a year. No, Gotham it is has, it's that it, weird yeah, timeless It, it does kind of have that time. feel of like new and old together. Yes, and, and they say things like, oh, I made a note of something they said that is very much like a, a phrase that has only been around for the past two years. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. <clears throat> All mm. the characters basically act as if they're in the modern era. But then there's things like at Gotham City PD that are like taken straight out of the 1940s. Like yeah, yeah. they have like a when they whenever you go into like get files or whatever, they have like a card catalog system that needs right. an assistant <clears throat> that needs a woman who will like literally go through the catalog, the card catalog yeah. to find the files. So it's all really for. stylized. It's heavily stylized. It's weird. It's weird it's, to me. It's modern day, but Gotham is backwards. So yeah. there's all, all right. sorts of backwards stuff in but it. But it's yeah. like it's not entirely different from the way some of the movies have been handled. I mean, no. Tim Burton's Gotham was yeah. heavily stylized and not really set in any era. And there were like, you know, thing elements from the 40s and all the way right. up to the 80s right. when it was done. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not that surprising. It's kind of it's been down this road before. Has Crazy Quilt shown up yet? Crazy Quilt? Crazy Quilt, the famous Batman villain, Crazy Quilt. I'm not familiar. I am not familiar <laughs> no. with Crazy Quilt. Crazy Quilt? Let me know when that happens. I'll start okay. watching. All right. Is he like Ragman? All right, I'll let you know when I see Crazy Quilt so you can tune in. It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside. And when you wake up, startled to say, I hope I don't go crazy today. It's such a bad feeling, an ominous feeling, a feeling you know that we'll be back when the week is new. And we'll have more gross facts for you. And you'll have things you'll want to hear about. We will too. Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while dressed in a bearskin and forced to run from rabid dogs. To comment on episodes and for links and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Support the podcast by donating on our site or visit patreon.com slash causticsoda. Visit us on Facebook, tweet us on Twitter at Caustic Podcast. Email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. I'm Derek Weber. Thanks for listening. Zoo, 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 zo